Only Mike is here, so if we cuddle up a bit, it's purely for, for the audio, you know, um, to get through. Listen, why don't we pray first, and then we'll get into these, uh, these slides and uh, talk a little bit about this work. Father, as we uh, look at what you did in this uh, remote corner of Indonesia amongst the people who knew absolutely nothing about you, um, we pray, Lord, that your mighty deeds would just explode in our minds and overwhelm us with your greatness and your goodness and your power to transform lives. And uh, so exalt yourself, glorify yourself in our midst today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beth's going to read a couple of verses from Psalm 139. Okay, I just want to preface. I need my glasses. I just want to preface uh, why this passage of scripture is. is <laughs> that puts me off. <laughs> why this passage of scripture is so um, has been so precious to me over the years. When we went through, we did three years of training, and um, the every time, uh, well, very very often during those three years, we were told what we were embarking on was an impossible task. And so that really took, took root in my heart. And um, I thought, well, I already felt totally inadequate. And then hearing that over and over, I thought, whoa, God, this has got to be something that you and only you can do in my heart and in my life. And as time went on, as we when especially once we moved into the jungles, the difficulties we faced were I could never have imagined them. And they were difficulties that went on year after year after year. Uh, one of our co-workers, <clears throat> she said to me about a year ago, that she said, Betty, she said, I was in survival mode the whole time. And as I've examined that in my own life, I've thought, wow, that's exactly where I was at too. It was extremely difficult. But we don't want to major on the difficulties because God uses them in our lives. So this Psalm 139 says it all, verses 5 to 12. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. All right. Um, here we go. This is us, the young John and Betty. I was 27, Betty was 26. Out. 25. Thank 25, you. that's right. <laughs> that's why she's up here, because she keeps me honest. And, um, and our girls, our girls were three. This is the morning we left. Are we standing in anyone's road here, or are you all right? Should I come stand up? 
Um, no, we've got to be near, love. Uh, this, is, this is Indonesia. You can see Pontianak there in the middle. That's where we did uh, 12 months of language study in Bahasa, Indonesia. And then we moved across to that island, Holmahera. Um, and that was 1980, we went to Indonesia, it was 81, the end of 81, we moved across to Holmahera. And there's the island. You can see up the top a little town called Tobelo. We're about a year in that town while we did our, our survey of looking for the, uh, these people that the, a Baptist church over there had invited us in to, um, to reach because they, they said these people are monolingual, they can't speak any Indonesian. They roam around the jungle in little groups and uh, we haven't got a clue how to, how to reach them, but we hear your outfit does know how to do that. So uh, we'll, we'll, we're very happy to, to help you get in there. So we went to that little town called Tobelo and we found that the biggest concentration of them was on that um, second arm of the island and uh, we settled on a place called Lili. Now, to get from Tobelo to Lili was 80 miles of open ocean. If you, if you lose your motor and you, and you drift to the which, east... Which we did We did time. once. Um, there's nothing till you hit South America. It's just ocean all the way. So uh, we tried to make sure we had two motors at least and one that could save us. Occasionally, what were the seas like, love? Horrible. In, in your uh, mic. Well, you said I had to stand here. Yeah, you do, but you've got to use oh. this one too. So, yeah, they were really rough. The first trip in was just stunning. It was calm and we saw dolphins. It was just beautiful. And then from there on, it just went downhill. So they were really bad. Uh, yeah, actually, she's forgotten. There were a few other good trips too. But... Mm -hmm. Don't remember very many. Uh, the guy on the right and his... Oh, sorry. Sorry. I'm just going to interrupt because I want to go back to our photo when we were leaving. And that oh. our girls, they were twins. They are twins. Identical twins that we didn't know till the day before they were born that we were having twins because that was before the days of ultrasound. And um, I'm not, not going to say too much now, but I just want you to take note of the fact that they're identical twins and God was right there in it all, you know, where even before we ever reached the tribe, he knew what he was doing for sure. And that Naomi, the one on the left that John's holding, we nearly lost her um, at four weeks old, uh, both uh, six weeks preemie, and uh, but God saved her wonderfully uh, with lots of folk praying. And he, it was like he was saying to me, Betty, I want you to remember this. I could have taken the gods, the, the doctors, gave up on her. They said, there's nothing more we can do. She's not responding to treatment. Um, but I want you to remember this, that she survived and she's alive. She's going to make it. She's doing well. At six weeks, we had a home. He said, because whatever's ahead for you, I, God, am the one that's in control of all, of life and death and all that's going to happen. So it was a really good preparation for me. Yeah, so uh, sea travel was one of the big obstacles that we, uh, we faced over there, and um, that was only the beginning of it. Uh, Keith and Anita on the right moved in first. We moved in after them. They went home on furlough. Eventually, the, uh, the couple in the middle arrived. He's a Kiwi, she's an Aussie. And then over on the, 
the left-hand side, uh, an Indonesian couple joined our team. So we were very multicultural. That made for fun and games too. This boat was the first one that we had built and we went in on that and we actually sank in that boat. And uh, right near the shore, um, we were backing in and these massive waves just drenched us. We had a roof on it and no one could get out. So that's why the roof's chopped off it. But we thought, this is, this is terrible, let's, let's get another boat. So we built this catamaran out of a marine ply and uh, that's the launching of it there. Um, and that was a lot safer because when you got in the big waves, uh, it, would, um, it would handle them far better than that other boat. On one occasion, uh, it, we had an exciting trip. Um, the, you see the outboard motor at the back there, the Yamaha motor? Next to it is a green jerry can. Can you see that one? Well, that's three quarters full of petrol. And this, this um, motor burst into flames. There were flames all over it, and the flames were all over the, the, uh, the petrol jerry can. And, um, you know, I thought, oh, this is the end. We're going to go up here for sure. This is going to explode. And, and they're strapped on. We had them tied on with ropes because when you get in the rough waves, you, um, you'll, you'll lose all the jerry cans overboard if you don't have them tied down. And, you know, I was praying, oh, this sort of stuff is so good for your prayer life. Talking about prayers, you pray when you're in a situation like that. And, you know, God came through. He came through and, and nothing happened despite that, those... Um, Flames being all over that, that jerry can. I might explain why John's covered up there with the mask over his face. It's not to hide who he is, it's just to protect his, his uh, face from the, the uh, reflection of the sun on the water that just burn, burns you terribly. Because we, we'd be four to six hours, depending on how, how rough the, the water was. Eventually? So, so this was our... Uh, plane. We finally got the airstrip built that John's going to talk about more in a bit. But this, this made a huge difference for our travel in and out of the uh, location. You know, we, we, because of the danger involved on the ocean, we thought we had an aircraft um, uh, flight program in, in uh, Indonesia and the guy said, look, all you've got to do is build a 700 metre uh, by 25 metre airstrip in virgin jungle. Just get that done and we'll be able to fly in and get you out. Very simple. Uh, not. And um, I had no experience in that. But, you know, again, this is just another thing that God undertook for us. Another way he totally undertook. And we got that airstrip built. And a lot of these things you can read about in the book because we're really trying to motor through this. And... Um, by the way, we want to have questions and answers at the end, so if you have any questions, hold on to them and ask at the end. This was our very first uh, encounter with the Tagutil people, the actual people, first time we'd met them. And um, I was in there with Matthew, our son. Uh, he finished grade 12 at uh, Heritage. And um, so rather than go to the Gold Coast for schoolies, I said, how about we go into Lili? So I took him into Lili with me. We're with the guy that's on the left. We're staying at his house and someone comes by selling clothes. And this guy says, who are these white people? And um, Hubiana said, oh, this is... He explained who we were and what we'd done in there and all that sort of thing. And he said, do you know 
The first time I met them, I decided I was going to kill one of them. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm listening, overhearing him tell this bloke that he, he had this plan to kill us. And, uh, and I said to him after the fellow moved on, I said, Habiana, what, what was that all about? And he said, the first time I, I saw you, I decided we, we were ordered, you ordered us to line up with all our weapons. And I did not want to do that. And I was really mad at being ordered around. And, uh, but it wasn't really you. That no, we, didn't, we, we said to the guy who was translating for us, can ask, get their permission and see if it's okay for us to take some photos. If they're okay with it, we'll take a few photos. But if they don't want it, we won't. And he didn't ignore that. And he just got them all to line up. And he said, get your weapons and, and uh, line up and they're going to take your photo. Now, this is the way these village people treated them. They treated them like they were half human, half animal. That's what they actually said about them. And you just order them around. And so the relationship of, of these guys with the villagers was terrible. And that comes, we'll, we'll get back to that later. So anyway, he said, it was when you took that photo, I decided I'm going to kill one of you. So I thought, that photo, I wonder if I can find it. So when we came back, I went through this big box of photos, and this is it. This is the photo. Here he is with his bow and arrow. He said, what I did was I, I decided which one of you I was going to shoot, pull my arrow back to fire it, and I couldn't release the arrow until I took the pressure off the bow. He said, something was stopping me letting that arrow fire. And... Um, and there he is drawing back. Yeah, he's starting, he's just there. That's, that's just prior to him pulling it back. And he said to me, he said, oh, I'm just so ashamed of that, that I did that. And I said, Habiana, you didn't know any better. You didn't know any better. That's, you know, but look what, look what God did. God stopped you killing us because probably if you'd killed one of us, we wouldn't have come back in there. Our mission group would have pulled us out. And you can so understand that they, they didn't know they could trust us at that point. And so, of course... They oh, they were so highly suspicious of any mm -hmm. outsiders. Mm -hmm. And they were so feared by outsiders. People wouldn't... They thought we were nuts going in there. And we probably were. Um, but the, uh, the stories were that they were very, very dangerous people. Here's another one. This guy, first couple of weeks we're in there, this fellow being held as Muru. Muru was such an angry violent man and whenever he lost his temper everyone would just take off they would run and um and and so muru uh had a bit of a run-in with keith now this is all through a guy who could help who could translate a little bit for us but there was all sorts of misunderstanding he got angry with keith he followed keith and he decided where he was going to kill him and he got to a point on the trail where where Keith would um, jump down off a log and he would be on the top of the log and he would there, he planned to take his head off. And he, he went to lift his machete and he couldn't lift that machete past his waist. And uh, he said it was like someone had their arms around him stopping him lifting that machete. And he became afraid and he thought, these guys have got um, medicine. some medicine or some power that we haven't, and because of that, he decided, I'm not going to touch them. I'm not going to do anything. 
harm them in any way. And I think after that, there weren't any more attempts on our lives. But well, we, not that we really know. Yeah, not that we're aware of. There, a few more. Um, but we saw God's power in protecting... I mean, this was just miracle after miracle. And... Um, just amazing not stuff. That we were fully aware. We weren't aware of that at that stage. No. Because we just, we just. That actually came along in, a, in a bit of a haze of yeah, not knowing. That came out in the Bible study. He becomes a believer. He's sitting in a in a Bible study, and they're talking about how Jesus um, uh, said, "If if you're angry with someone, it's like you've killed them, like you've murdered them." And and one guy says, "Oh, well, I was angry with you." And that's like I murdered you. And someone said, oh, I was angry with you. And then Muru pipes up and he says to Keith, well, not only was I angry with you, but, and, and that was like I murdered you, but I actually was going to murder you. And I was going to chop your head off. And he explained how he, went about, how he was going to go about that. So as we think of it, we just think of God looking after us in so many ways. This is their housing? This is their houses. This is... Um very basic. Some had floors, like this one has a floor. A lot of them did. Don't go so fast. Oh, sorry. Uh, and uh, these were a group that were made up interior, and uh, they were, yeah, they lived very basic. You can see the, uh, what do you call it, basket of bananas? The backpack. They mm. um, just a leaf roof, a bark floor, and, and no walls on their houses because uh, walls meant you couldn't see the enemy creeping up on you and you couldn't prepare yourself to fight or to run. So they had no walls. Because if someone died, they would believe that someone had caused that death. And so if you were blamed for the death, uh, you, could, you could have your life taken. And so you needed to be alert to... If someone in the area died, you had to really be watching out. Keep going. Yep, this is just more photos of the people. They wore bark clothing... Have you got that photo of them all in their bark clothes? Yep, coming yeah. up. Okay, more housing. There's one with a roof, with a floor rather. They didn't last very long uh, because of the vermin and, and uh, wear and tear. Uh, so they just get up and, and build somewhere else. Yeah, they just leave that and then go and build another house in another area, clear a bit of jungle. And, and they lived in, in small groups of maybe two or three families uh, and just move around the jungle. Very simple housing, so it didn't take much so this, to build. This one, yeah, they're the ones way up interior. So this, this is all bark clothing. Even the little bubs have the sarongs that they're held in is, is bark. So it would have been really rough on their, their baby skin. This was us when we, uh, our first dwelling in, there in Lili with our girls. Um, it was a, what was it, seven by three? Yep. A metre little place. It was built out of uh, wood that was cut from the jungle there, and uh, it was wet wood, so we didn't allow for it to dry. By the time we came in to live there, the wood had all shrunk, so there were huge gaps between the, uh, the, the boards. boards. So the mozzies just, mm. you know, they just crowded in. And uh, even though we had mosquito nets, we all came down with malaria quite severely. And this is our. Our bathtub initially. Um, well, we never had a bathtub over there. No. Um, and uh, there's the girls, one's behind me, one's in the water. And uh, we were bathed fully clothed in the river, the Lili River. This was our, our house that we ended up with. The guy, the guy on the um, front of the book, 
he became a very, very dear friend to us. And he and his family, that was his first house that he built. He decided he wanted to be uh, as near to us as he could. And then the bank, as you can see, was kind of starting to crumble. And uh, so he realised he needed to move further back. So he moved up right beside us. And see that big tree right at the back of our house there? Um, we had an amazing bird that we were going to include a photo of and not even going to talk about, but I've got to talk about him. His name was Ginger. Some of you might know the name, a hornbill. They're like a toucan, only they're not brightly coloured. And the people, they knew I loved animals and they bought this, this uh, bird to me. I didn't know anything about, about, I didn't know it was a hornbill at that stage. Anyway, he never kept him caged up. He was free to come and go as he pleased and... He was a lot of fun. Actually, he couldn't fly because he was a baby. I didn't even know that when we first got But he used to get up in that big tree at the back of our house and when he saw us come out, he would fly down, go swoop around our house, um, waiting for his feed. And, and sometimes he'd fly in through those windows into our mm. house and try and land on the, on the table. Very interesting bird. Yeah. But another big challenge, language study. We copped a butte language, a really difficult... Um, difficult one uh, with gobs of affixation and direction um, as part of it and so whenever anyone came to our house we would spend a lot of time uh, doing whatever they wanted us to do and uh, but also trying to tone up our language and a lot of time was spent out with the people because that's how you learnt their culture and, um, and how they lived their lives. They're absolutely amazing people. We could not get over how they lived out in that jungle with nothing. The men would have a machete. The women might have one aluminium cooking pot if they were lucky. Otherwise, they'd just cook in bamboo. And um, just amazing. Pig hunting. A couple of the guys from here are out pig hunting at the moment. Um, and I, I, I sent them a text and I said, did you eat that pig? Because we used to eat the wild pig in, in Lili. And um, bananas. Lots and lots of bananas. We had bananas so many ways. Yeah, yeah. And their bananas, some of their bananas got worms in them, so you have to be careful. But even the dogs love bananas. Now, this is the uh, medical house that uh, I ran. Uh, being a nurse, I was barely, you know, I was a registered nurse, but I finished my training and then went straight from my training into, into Bible College. Um, but initially, we did it from our house, but the, the Tugutu people didn't really understand a lot at that point in time about time and you know I was homeschooling the girls and uh, they would come at all hours and they they loved us they did love because we provided a lot of entertainment for them trying to communicate with them and uh, and just we were so different we were the first white people they'd ever seen um, so and of course our girls they thought they were amazing um, and, and so finally we decided we'd move it down to the medical house and I said, only come three, three afternoons a week, so I'd say when the sun's over this way, whichever direction it was, mm. point in time. And uh, that worked really, really well. And World Vision built that for mm. us, which was good of them to do that. Here's a guy that was shot through with an arrow, with a, from an arrow rifle, and uh, he was from way down, up way up north. And we heard about him about five days after it happened, and they, they knew he was in a bad way. By the time they got him to us, uh, he had severe peritonitis. Um, and again, another miracle. Because it certainly wasn't my 
amazing medical skills. Like I say, I was very limited. This is a, a procaine penicillin. Uh, that's all we had. And uh, that's what I gave him. And then one day, he was in such incredible... His stomach was as hard as a rock. It was awful. And uh, finally, he dragged himself down to the river and just sat in the river and... Yeah. Yeah. Now this is this is and he survived. We, we, Amazing. We, we looked it up. This was before the days of uh, the internet, so you had nothing you could look up and no books. I had my book Where There Is No Doctor, which I used a lot, but it didn't prepare you for this kind of thing. And uh, we were talking to a flying doctor guy once, and he said what he, his explanation of it was that um, it had abscessed the all the peritonitis had abscessed near his bowel and it must have ruptured into his bowel. But anyway, we don't know how it happened, but God saved him. This, this happened two weeks before we were ready to teach. Now, we'd been learning language for five years, and we had language consultants come in and test our language proficiency, and then um, they said, yep, you, you probably can go ahead and teach. And uh, so we were allowed to teach. We, we prepared 30 lessons ahead. We were going to go start in Genesis chapter 1, with creation, and we wanted to end with the, the new heaven and the new earth, the new creation. And, um, and so there was a lot to tell them about because they had not ever heard of Jesus, of Jesus or, or God. They knew nothing at all. And in fact, we discovered at the four-year mark that their biggest taboo was to have any contact with the Christian church as they perceived it to be. And so once we were ready to teach them, I said to them, Listen, we've helped you in lots of ways, and, um, but there's one thing that we want to do for you that is more important than anything else, and that's to tell you a story. And, and this is why we've come. And then this is the main reason we've come. And it's the reason that we've gone through all these hardships and all that in here, because they knew we sank, they knew we had malaria, they knew all that. We sent our girls off to school. Yeah. And... Uh, Anyway, he said, well, is this church? Because, you know, we've got this taboo against church. We can't enter a church. If we go inside a church, someone in our family will die. So none of us are going to go near a church. And I said, well, you tell me what this church is that you can't go to. And they said, well, every Sunday they have them in the, in the villages down on the coast. And uh, I said, well, we're going to tell you this story on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And then... He said, they have to get dressed up. And we said, well, you don't have to get dressed up. You come as you are. And you, if you're wearing a loincloth, wear a loincloth. If you want to wear your shorts, you know, we're not going to get dressed up for it. So we're just going to tell you a story. And he said, and um, they pay money to go to church. And they sing songs. And they say they talk to God. And we said, well, we won't be singing songs. We, we won't be talking to God or praying. And um, you won't be paying any money. And they worry up in the church if they, um, the babies wee and poo on their floor. Yeah, yeah. And we said, we don't care if the babies wee or poo on the floor because it'll be a dirt floor. In fact, we're going to do this wherever you want to do it. If you want to do it out under a tree somewhere, we'll do it under the tree. If you want to do it out in the open, we'll do it there. But it could be very wet because it, it rains so often. Or we've got this big shed that we've given to you and for you, it's your shed to do what you want with. We could do it there if you wanted to. And... Um, Their decision. Yeah, it's up to you. So anyway, they all talked about that. Next thing we're hearing, the word coming back, 
hey, when's this story starting? We're starting to get excited about hearing this story. And so, oh, that's right. And I did say to them, I want you to know, though, that the story comes from the book that they have in the church called the Al-Kitab. And anyway, he said, that sounds okay to me. I'll talk to the others. And anyway, God started to prepare them to listen to this story. And, and just to backtrack a bit, that guy that um, I was giving the injection to with, um, that had been shot through with the arrow, he was from an area way up north, and um, they all knew that he was going to die. And that was just like a last resort, send him down to, to us to see if we could uh, help him at all. He didn't die. And as a result, that was two weeks, yeah. two weeks before we started teaching. They all came all down. All those people came down. Because they knew... He should have died. Mm. Okay, here our girls are now. Um, that's Anita on the left and Naomi on the right. They're probably about 10, 11, 11 maybe? I don't know. And this is uh, on the way, Dengue. And uh, they would go out to the gardens with people that the, Dengue and, and her sister-in-law, actually, we got quite close to. They had told us the people that were safe to, for our girls to go to the gardens with because it... It was, a, it was a tricky environment in a lot of ways. And um, so the girls loved the people. And being identical... Oh, that we're getting to that, aren't we? I won't... No, no, go straight okay. into it. Being identical twins, the Tugutil had this belief that anyone that has more than one child at a time, so has a multiple birth, only one of those children is a um, father by the earthly father. All the others were fathered by an evil spirit and must be killed. And uh, then here we come in with identical twins. We can't even pass them off just as sisters because they're identical. And uh, they, um, they immediately, five years old they were then, they'd never seen five-year-old twins that were alive. Well, they'd never seen living twins. Because they'd never allowed them to live. They had to leave one out on a, on a take it out in the bush out in the jungle and just leave it there. And, and as a result of seeing that, these two little ones... This is the first set of Tugutil living twins. And uh, we couldn't believe it when they came down. She had very severe mastitis. And, uh, and we had had nothing. We, this is the first time we'd met them. And uh, they came down for help. And we were quite staggered to see that it was twins and we asked them about it and they said well we know now that you the twins are okay multiples are okay if they're all if they're boy twins or if they're girl twins but if they're a boy girl twin you've still got to kill the girl because mm, this was prior to the gospel, prior to the gospel. yeah and the gospel changed all that but already god was changing their thinking and they were having to um challenge their own yeah. belief system because here we here were living Twins, five years old. And I might just add, one of, I think one of the things, even though it was really hard, life was tough in there, one thing that God amazingly did for us was he gave us such a love and an appreciation for the people. And, and you couldn't help but mm. love them. I don't reckon. No. But anyway. They, and, could, and, be, and, they could be scoundrels, but... Oh, yeah. But um, they were lovable scoundrels. Yeah. And, and also our girls built wonderful relationships with them. One, and they just, our girls, in fact, were able to communicate with them long before we could because they get out with the kids and they learn the language mm, so quickly. Yeah. 
This is, so anyway, the, our main task, of course, was getting ready to, to, to share God's word. This is our first little proper computer. We had a little one-line thing, because um, this was back in 80, 87, 88. Yeah, so computers were just starting to come in. And this was wonderful because you didn't have to white out stuff and then put it back in the typewriter and type over it again. And I would work with, a, with that Javiana, the guy that uh, had the, the uh, arrow, and, and put our lessons together, tape them on that little tape recorder there, and Betty would then transcribe them so that we had them all written up. And then the day came where we started to tell the story of the Bible, God's story. And we started in the beginning and we, and we spent four months teaching in the Old Testament. So they, and that was undoing a lot of their worldview. As we, we laid out a biblical worldview, um, it, it, was, it was demolishing their, their old worldview. But well, the, challenging it, challenging yeah. it. They had to think through what they were going to yeah. believe. Because all we did was tell the story. Yeah. And, uh, we, we never said anything they did was, was right or wrong. We just no, we, and that five years we didn't condemn anything that they did. Even the twin thing, we didn't say that was wrong, you shouldn't be doing that. And uh, because we wanted God's word to be the catalyst for the change. And I might just add, four years we didn't have a death in there, which is unheard of. Again, God. Which they would have they would have blamed us, yeah. Killed it. Killed it. Particularly with, this, with the taboo against Christianity. But... Um, the amazing thing is we, we, we started in Genesis. We got to Genesis 3. And you got that verse there, Lom? We got, this, was, uh, this is 10 lessons. Yeah, 10 lessons to Genesis 3. So we weren't flying through it, I tell Genesis you. Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So they'd heard of uh, Satan, or Ibli, they called him, and... Um, how he deceived Adam and Eve. And anyway, we said, we, we said to them, look, the time has come. This was the time where they all go off to do their, their uh, rice festival, and it's, they call it Taumbaru, and it's offering the spirits the first fruits from the little bit of rice that they grew. And, and so um, we said, look, we're going to stop the story because it's a story that you need to hear every part of, or we want you to hear every part of, and so go do your offering of your rice to the spirits for four days like you normally do every year and then come back and then we'll restart the story again so that you don't miss any. And this guy, Talon, he says to me, well, he says, this year we're not, we're not going to go and offer any, anything to the spirits. This is 10 lessons. Into the into Bible. The, into Genesis 3. Yeah, and he says, I said, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, in fact... We've taken all our spirit rocks that we depend on for, for safety when we travel. We've crushed them up into powder and thrown that powder in the, in the river. We've taken our fetishes that, we, we, that give us protection and we've thrown them in the river. So our, they're all washed out to sea. Our ancestors' locks of hair. The, We'd never mentioned any of these things. No, and I said to him, why did you do that? Because we didn't tell you you had to do that. And he said, you know why we did it? We did it because that Iblihi, Satan... He deceived Adam and Eve, and you know what? We recognise that he's deceived us. 
and we have believed all this stuff and it's all from him and now we want to follow the true God, the one that you guys have come here to tell us about. And so every Monday, Wednesday and Friday for six months they turned up. One time there's a massive flood, they got across the river. We said, don't do that, don't come if it's flooded. You were worried they were going to drown. Yeah, we were really concerned for them. they come with their families. And they said, no, they said, we, we have... Waited so long for this message to come. No one's brought it all these years. Now you finally come and we're not waiting any longer. We'll get here. You just make sure you're here and to, to tell us the story. And so we progressed through. We got through into the New Testament and they saw Jesus was the one who had been promised all the way through the old. Who is yeah, who's who's this? Who's this is it Moses? Yeah. It's probably, is it this David guy? Is it, um, and so they were trying to guess who this promised Messiah was because we never jumped ahead in the story. And they'd never heard the story. So when they hear the birth of Christ, that's the first time they've ever been exposed to him. And then we said, he has to fulfill all these Old Testament prophecies. And if he doesn't, he's then he's not, he's not really the Messiah. And so they, they, um, we got into the life of Christ, taught the life of Christ, blew them away. We acted out the death, burial, and well, the death and, and uh, burial of Jesus, because we did that a lot with them. We'd act, have plays, so they'd, and we had all these pictures up behind us. I think you can, you can see a, a plywood sheet behind me there, and um, all these pictures. And so, with every story, we had a couple of pictures to help them understand, help them comprehend, because we knew we wanted to make our communication of this incredible message as clear as we possibly could. And um, so we did that in every way we possibly could. And anyway, we get to uh, act out the, the story. Chris Slahu, our Indonesian guy, he, he played the Roman soldier. Habiana, again, Habiana was in everything. He played Jesus on the cross. And um, and Habi and. Chris gets, we made a whip and we made a crown of thorns and, and he spat on him and he whipped him and all this stuff. And I've got to, oh, what's this time? And um, anyway, he, after this play, this big group of men went to Chris's house and they said to him, how could you treat him like that? How could you treat Jesus like that? Don't you realise that he's the promised Messiah? He's done nothing wrong to anyone. In fact, everything he's done has been perfectly right and you could spit on him and you could whip him and you could do all those and say those terrible things about him. And Habiana said, look, I only did that so just to show you what happened back there. That, I wouldn't do that to him. No, no way. And, and they said, well, all right, but just make sure you don't, never do it again. <laughs> And, and so then we went into the, to, to, they saw the death. The next session was the resurrection. And then... Um, One of the ladies, she knew, she knew that Jesus had risen again when she heard about the curtain being torn into the Holy of Holies. She knew. She said, I knew Jesus had come back. Oh, look, the things that they came up with and the way they related the Old Testament back into the New Testament was just, it just blew our minds. Yeah. And if you want to read those stories, they're in that book over there. So that, we had a wonderful turning to the Lord of the, of the group. Oh, massive. Mass we, did we mention Puhu? We, we didn't mention No, we didn't mention Puhu, but, but that's in the book. 
yeah. But we're going to finish up because we want, we'll have a short time for questions and answers. Um, but I did want to read this from Chris Duncan, who was an anthropologist that came in to Lily. And you know, anthropologists and missionaries don't click often. And this guy, non-Christian guy, he said... In, in he, did a, he did a study of, our, of why these people became Christians after so resisting. Anti, so, anti. so Betty's going to read just a little bit of his book that he wrote. Yeah. The question remains, he called them Forest Tobelo. Why did the Forest Tobelo consent to listen to these lessons, something they had staunchly refused to do before? The nature of the messenger is one factor. Villagers usually delivered their message with an arrogance based on their disdain of the Forest Tobelo. They demanded cultural conversion to village life while offering nothing in return. The forest abailers saw no reason to believe the stories or the message of people they felt had cheated and tricked them for, de for decades. In stark contrast, mis the missionaries spent five years learning the Tobelo language and studying forest Tobelo culture without passing judgment. They brought new technologies, medical, mechanical, etc., that they were willing to share with the forest Tobelo without cheating them. They did community development work, and when they began teaching, they explained their version of Christianity, just as they had explained new medicines, new agricultural techniques, or Indonesian government policy. Furthermore, the version of Christianity that the missionaries put forth did not require the forest Tobelo to relinquish their autonomy. The missionaries focused on the message of the gospel, not the cultural underpinnings of it that the villagers had always stressed. The forest abelo could retain their identities as forest abelo and remain distinct from villagers. So what we did, we presented truth and we said, now, you've got the spirit of God in you. You tell us how you're going to, that truth is going to be lived out. You write your own songs. They asked us if we could get songs for them. We said, no, um, God has put a new song in your heart. And you come up with it. That's Puhuhu. He challenged the He's teaching, but you, you're going to have to read about him in the book. And this is the first church that going back in there again to them. When John took Matthew in, Matthew had the leaders of the church baptise him in the river. Yeah, this, this is the church they've got now, but that when that's uh, on a Sunday, they can't fit everyone in, so they're building in one two and a half times that size. They've planted other churches. They're actually building an airstrip in a very remote area so they can reach out to another group of them. But that's, uh, they've got the New Testament and 28% of the Old Testament in, in Bahasa Tobelo. And, and, and then And we taught leader, literacy. Leader there, were, there was 100% literacy, illiteracy when illiterate. we went in. And uh, they can read down there. Oh, it's just amazing yeah. what God is doing. Right, we have two minutes left. Anyone got a question? 